Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insight. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights brought to you by our good friends at Training Pro. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming back to the Business Radio X microphone with Baker Construction Enterprises, Mr. Paul Smith. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much. Before we dive into some of your day-to-day work, can you just give us a quick uh, uh, primer background on uh, Baker Construction Enterprises? Um, and this is a pretty big outfit with a, with a large footprint in, in the uh, industry, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it uh, it's actually uh, and, and most people uh, would be more familiar with the name Baker Concrete Construction, which is uh, Baker Construction Enterprises, like you know an umbrella uh, that has various other entities underneath it. The largest entity is Baker Concrete Construction, and it's the nation's largest concrete construction company, uh, doing things like um, you know stadiums and high rises and skyscrapers and you know large massive facilities like that. Um, you know, like if you've ever been to Mile High Stadium in Denver, that was us, you know, and things like wow. that. So, um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the work that I'm doing that they brought me in for was, uh, to, to take advantage of, you know, the structure on the job training, which is, you know, my, sort of my, my bread and butter. Um, uh, but, but to, to try to mobilize that into, in, into boosting training for their skilled trade areas. And in fact, right now I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs and rolling out a, a training program to, to better train their new foreman. You know, the individuals that initially stuck, crossed the line from being, I was on the crew last week and this week I'm in charge of the crew. What, what you know, what do I do now that my world has changed? Uh, traditionally, a lot of construction companies do very little to proactively train those individuals, even though I think those individuals are some of the most important people in any construction project because not only are they responsible for making sure the crew is getting the work done, which is the real reason a construction company exists is that work the crew is doing, but they also have accountability to the company where they they have direct first-line impact on uh, the, the costs of the job. The, the, the quality of the job, the interaction with the customers, which, you know, can, can determine repeat business, uh, you know, all of those things that that foreman on the job site has direct impact in all that stuff. And so it's really a shame that we just leave them out there to, you know, fend for themselves. So, so Baker doesn't want to keep doing that. They want to, they want to prepare those guys. Now, historically, it's, as you said, this has been kind of an on the job training situation over the years, right? I would imagine mm-hmm. that in yep. each, yep. no matter in one market, they're doing it a certain way. And then if a different crew in a different place in the country or world, they might be doing it a totally, the same activity, a totally different way. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and as with anything, there, there there's logically, uh, you know, a, a standard sequence of, of things that you do. There's a, there's only so many ways to do certain aspects, but uh, you you can have your own variation. Uh, and and the type of work you're doing, whether you're doing um, you know decks or you know the flooring, the, the 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 or you're doing columns or vertical concrete pouring things, you know it's different types of forms, it's different types of of, of safety measures, it's different aspects you have to be careful of. And and you know Baker has you know, their 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 main locations are all over the place. You know Denver and and Houston and DC and Fort Lauderdale and, you know, all around. And, 
and each of those markets, to your point, each of them, you know, we're doing slightly different kinds of work. One might be focusing more on high-rise work, whereas one another is focusing more on large-scale spread-out complexes. And you know, it's, it and that does require that there is some variation of how those individuals are trained. So now, what was the biggest challenge for you? Did you um, how well schooled were you in all of this before you uh, started oh, there? Uh, well, you know, since since I'm an uh, so I'm a I'm a construction expert, you know. I'm, <laughs> no, I, I say that jokingly because prior to being at Baker, I was at another company called the Waldinger Corporation, uh, which is more regional based in the Midwest. Uh, it was an uh, uh, it's a mechanical subcontractor doing sheet metal and uh, you know HVAC stuff, things like that, uh, electrical and piping, those kind of things. But if for large scale buildings, not not residential, but commercial and, and, and governmental kind of things. Um, but I was only with them for a little over four years. Uh, and, and prior to that, my only construction experience was helping my dad do his handyman work. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that it was, it was, uh, it, it, it was a kind of a, a sharp learning curve. But what I find is interesting is in, in my role, I don't necessarily have to know how to do everything that a member of the crew does. But what I do need is the ability to be able to find out from them what someone else who's going to do their job needs to know. And that's, that's where my background in journalism really, really pays off because, um, you know, I, I, I'm good at going out and talking with as many individuals as possible, interviewing them and asking them those basic questions. Okay, we're, we're developing training for new foremen. So I go out and I talk to new foremen. I talk to veteran foremen. I talk to individuals superintendents who have supported uh, foremen, who have seen them succeed, who've seen them fail, who you know, have, have, have supported them along the way, um, and different individuals from different angles. And I've said, what does someone in this role really need to know? What, 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 are, the, what are the things that seem to be constant struggles, constant problems? Where do, we, where do we lose money because this person doesn't know what they're doing? You know, and those kind of questions. And they give me all that information. And then I put that together. And, and um, you know, it's not it's not me. It's not my knowledge. My my ability is getting information out of other people and putting it together. Those people are the smart ones, and they 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 bring the real the real meat and potatoes to the table. So when you have all this information, how does it get disseminated back to the learner? Um, I would imagine that in today's environment, it's hard to find talented people to do the work that you need done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely. And and the the job market is is so incredibly tight that uh, it is really difficult for skill-based professions like construction to be able to uh, sometimes just find enough workers, period. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that when everyone brags about, you know, the low unemployment rates, and that, and that is a good thing in, in many respects, but it's not a good thing for industries like construction uh, because when, when unemployment rates are higher, then, then there's a lot of people that are willing to, to do that kind of work too. Um, but, because of that, you want to make sure that the individuals that you do hire, that you you train them as quickly as possible to be as good as possible at their jobs, and that you then uh, treat them in such a way that you retain them as well. Because now that you've got a good quality person, you don't want to lose them either. And so uh, <laughs> having a good, solid development training program is, is a way to do both of those things. And that, you know, nice segue for us to, to you know, talk touch on structure on the job training, because for the type of work that this industry is, that's that's the most effective way to do the training. I, I take all that all, all that information from all those resources um, and 
then that begins to, to form the, the picture of what does someone in this specific role need to be able to know, need to be able to do to be competent in, in the opinion of our organization. And then from that list, you, you make a, a companion list of, okay, so for each of those things you've listed, what is, what is the, the measurable thing? What is the observable thing that they can do so that somebody else, someone, some supervisor is able to, to observe and say, yes, you, you did that. You were competent at that. And I'm, I'm going to sign off on that one thing. And the example I used to, to illustrate is if somebody said, well, uh, to, in, in this job, you need to be able to use Excel. Okay, great. What is, what, what does that mean? There's, you know, there's a whole lot to Excel. What, what do we really expect of this person? And, and generally when we say someone needs to be able to use Excel in any given role, there are specific things we expect them to be able to do in Excel, specific, um, uh, templates that they need to use or, or spreadsheets we want them to develop or charts or pivot tables even or something. But usually there's very specific things we want that person to be able to do. And so that being the case, uh, that's the measurable item. It's, it's, it's okay to say they need to know how to use Excel. But what we're really going to say is um, one of the things we need to be able to do in Excel is complete the such and such template. Okay. That becomes the measurable output that someone can observe. And so once you've got that list of all these measurable output items, however long or short that list may be by the position, then you look at that list and you say, okay, out of all this stuff, what parts of this make sense to teach in a classroom setting versus which, what of this does it really make the most sense to be taught in a guided on-the-job situation? And so the things that, are, that, that can be taught or maybe in some cases just introduced in a classroom, because honestly, I'm a big fan of classroom training. I started as a classroom teacher. Uh, high school teacher way back years ago. <laughs> but, but now, you know, I, I, I recognize that, that classroom training is great for dispensing information, but that's really all it's good for. Uh, it, it, if, if you want someone to be able to do something, they're not going to walk out of uh, listening to a teacher talk about it and know what they're doing. They have to, they have to get some hands on experience. And so that's where the structure of the job training then you say, here's the stuff we can teach in the classroom, but then the rest of that, okay, now we've got a guided checklist, basically, that they're able to take with them to a job site and somebody else can walk through it and say, okay, you haven't done, haven't shown you can do this yet. Let me show you how, to, how you do this. And then I'm going to give you opportunities to do it. I'm going to observe you. And when I'm confident that you're able to do it consistently and, and competently, then I'll sign off on that line item. And boom, you have structure on the job training. Now, in your situation, is the foreman the person that's in charge of the training, or is someone training the foreman and their and the people below the foreman? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it 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 depends on who the trainee is. Uh, if if the if the foreman themselves is the trainee, as is the case with the program I'm building right now, uh, then obviously it needs to be a person above them, which would be either a, a general foreman if it's a large job that has you know uh, someone in that capacity most likely a superintendent who is overseeing a job and had their multiple crews uh, that, that have foremen. Um, but in, in other situations, it might be a project manager or it might be a department manager or, you know, however an organization is set up. But if we were talking about training in craft people on their crew, uh, then that would be a foreman who would have direct responsibility for making sure their crew is trained and prepared. So it, it, it just depends on the role that you're, that you're teaching. So now you as head trainer, are you um, 
getting buy-in from them that this kind of bite-sized learning at, at the pace of the learner is, is going the way that everybody is, you know, complying and doing the work the way mm-hmm. you want them to? Mm-hmm. Oh, ac- yeah, actually, it, it doesn't take a lot to get the buy-in, actually, um, because when, when you're talking, again, about uh, very heavy skill-based roles, you find that those individuals will tolerate going to a, a formal classroom environment, but they're not fans of it uh, because they, number one, they see it as taking them away from their job. They see it as slowing down production because they're, they're not doing the work. Uh, it's not just however long the class is. It's the travel time. It's, you know, the, the inconvenience, et cetera, et cetera. So they already start in the hole in their opinion uh, of, of the classroom training. And then, um, you know, like it or not, a lot of the classroom training that we subject people to, uh, it, as I said, is just passing on information. And there's really no direct application when when they're leaving the room. It's not like, okay, you've sat through an hour or a day or whatever, and here are the things that that you now are going to do back on your job. Um, you know, that would be that would be different. At least they could see the application of that. But more often than not, they go, they sit through whatever it is. They, they get a, a certificate that they stayed awake <laughs> during the session. Uh, they signed their name on a form to, so the company can say, yep, we taught, we, we ran everyone through it. And then that's it. That's, that's, that's what training looks like for those individuals. And so that being the case, they don't put a lot of stock in what happens in a classroom environment. But when you tell them that you are working on, on doing some training that they'll actually be able to do bulk, the bulk of the training on the job site in the real world context of, of what it is that they need to be doing, that, that makes total sense. You know, when you think about when we were in high school, uh, or maybe even younger, you know, at one time or another, everybody raised their hand and said, why do we need to know this? And the teacher would say, cause it'll be on the test. <laughs> and you know, in school, that was okay. That was a good enough answer. As adults, we still raise, we still want to raise our hand and say, why do I need to know this? But because it'll be on the test, it's not a sufficient answer. Uh, I, I need to know as an adult, how does this apply to me? How does this, how is this relevant to my day-to-day work? Uh, and if, if the instructor cannot answer that question almost right away before we even get into the training, before the content even starts, then you'll, you'll have trouble retaining the attention of that adult learner the entire time. So then when you put the learning in the context of the job site, then, then you, you answer that why question right off the bat. There's no question of why do I need to learn this? Well, the why is obvious because you're standing here doing it. And so that, that there, there's very little resistance to that. The problem isn't that, that people resist that approach. The problem is that it's a lot of work to create the kind of program to actually do a structured on-the-job training. So when you landed at Baker, I'm sure you didn't come in guns a-blazing. Did you find yourself... <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you find yourself sort of tilling the soil a little bit and pre-selling some of this um, this this thinking pattern, or is that part of the reason that you came in the first place? What was what was that like coming into a new environment and getting something like this off the ground? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't I can't speak specifically for what what they were all talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, what, 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 what I know that, that from my vantage point, they, they, um, I mean, uh, not, not, not bragging, but I mean, they, they, they came after me. They recruited me because they, they, they apparently felt that these things that we're talking about were things that, that they had already decided this, this, this would be good for us. This would, this would work for us. Um, and, and really wanted to, to implement those kind of things. 
so I, it hasn't really been a tough sell or, or, or even, even a neat Baker, like a lot of other companies has, has had an up and down history of, of how they've done training. Uh, at one point in time, they had a whole Baker university in a kind of concept going on. And then, you know, again, like a lot of companies, when, when the economy tanked, you know, what, 15 years ago or so, 10 years ago, whatever it was, um, you know, that, that, that caused that, that, that Baker university to, to have challenges as well. And it got reduced and, and pulled back. Uh, and, and since then, each of the region, each, each of the, what they call birds, but the, the markets, the regional offices have, have all, um, sort of just been doing training on their own you know, and taking care of their own people, which is, which is good. I mean, you're still making sure people get training, but you then lose that, that sense of identity of the company. You lose that sense of consistency. And most importantly, the company itself is not able to ensure that there is a, a, a level of quality, a, a, a standard that everyone is, is attaining to. And so, um, you know, those are things that the company wants to wants to do. And, you know, when you present it that way, that, that you're not you're not looking to eliminate successes that local offices have had. You're wanting to build on those things and bring it all together under under one under one grouping and make sure that everyone benefits from being able to grow. Yeah, every uh, I, 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 don't, I have yet to get resistance from anyone. I a lot of offers to, to help and let me know whatever you need. And that, you know, ba Baker is very supportive of, of training itself. They just needed to get their program kickstarted again and get it get it underway. Well, I think that's fantastic, and I suspect you're being a little bit uh, modest with regard to your ability to introduce new ideas and affect change in a large, complex system. But I appreciate this. But this whole idea, <laughs> <laughs> this, this whole idea, to me, is is very reminiscent of a, a model that has worked to great effect in a lot of organizations or in a lot of situations. It, it, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's reminiscent of the, uh, the apprenticeship kind of model. It just yep. seems to have more structure, yep. more rigor. Yeah. yeah. Can you speak to yeah. that as sort of an adopted, a different well, spin on the apprenticeship model, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and it's interesting because uh, when, when, when I present about, about the structure on the job training concept, like at conferences, things like that, um, there will always be uh, individuals who say, now, this sounds like an apprenticeship. How is this different from an apprenticeship? And my response is, it's not radically different. It's, it's actually very similar to an apprenticeship model. Where the, uh, the biggest distinction, and, and I'm, being, I'm being very, very elementary level with this, um, but, but the, the biggest distinction um, that you notice right away is that an apprenticeship is really time-driven, whereas a structured mm. job training program is content-driven. And by that, I mean an apprenticeship program is designed not just to teach content, but to, to, um, uh, instill a sense of mastery, a sense of, 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 of skilled craftsmen, if you will. And so, um, there, there are multiple levels to an apprenticeship program and hyper, you know, let's say the level one is five years, level two is five years, level three is five years. And in level one, here's a list of content you're going to learn. Well, if you're a go-getter and you learn that content in the first, I don't know, year, year and a half, you're still at level one for five years. You're, you're not advancing. Uh, and, and again, the reason for that being the, the idea that, well, now you'll spend the rest of that time honing those skills so that you're now a master craftsman at those things before we move you to the next level. So, I mean, it makes total sense. Um, but increasingly, we now see uh, uh, younger generation employees that uh, are not satisfied with that kind of model. They feel very constrained. They actually get frustrated. Uh, they'll even leave an organization if they don't feel like 
they are advancing at the rate they believe they should be able to be advancing at. Um, and, and so you may have someone who's a real fire per, I mean, they're, they're, they're a go-getter there. You want to keep them. And, and then they just up and quit because they don't feel like they're getting anywhere. And, and the organization says, well, but you're in the apprenticeship program, you know, it's five years, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> um, well, the destruction of the job training program does takes, uses that, that, that same concept of, like I said before, you map out, here's all the, the measurable competencies of someone in, in a role. However, there's no time constraint. So again, you get to go get her. They might burn through stuff on that list really quickly and just round through. Eventually they're, they're going to plateau. They're going to hit some stuff that, okay, hold it. Stop this. This may take a little, little longer for me to digest. I'm, I'm going to need to dig into this a little more. And they may, they may hover on those concepts for a little bit longer than the other stuff. And then they'll get that under their belt and then they'll move on back down through the list. But the rate at which they progress is driven by the ability of the learner to move through the content rather than pre-described by measurements of time. Uh, and so that's, that's the biggest fundamental difference uh, between those programs. But now you mentioned apprenticeships. Now there, there's a, a, another concept because from the federal government level, we're seeing this big push for apprenticeship programs um, and, and department of labor is putting all kinds of money into grants and, States are putting money into grants and, and there's all this going on because there's this, this increasing recognition that the best way to train our workforce to, to address the skills gap, and that's a whole other topic, and we have all of these unemployed people who want to make decent money, and so we get the push for the $15 minimum wage, all this kind of stuff, but they want to make uh, decent money, and we have all these jobs that pay decent money and have good benefits. The problem is the people who are unemployed don't have the training and skills to fill the jobs that need filled. And so there's this skill gap. Well, the best way to address that skill gap is through, uh, you know, a structured on the job training approach or an apprenticeship program as, as someone default to. And now though, because of that structured time frame, uh, that then creates consternation. That creates issue for some. They want to move it faster than that. And so, we now see the introduction of a term called informal apprenticeships. And it's actually a concept that has, that has already been very popular in other countries. In fact, if you do, if you do a Google search for informal apprenticeships, the, the initial results you'll see are all from like Africa and Asia and, you know, Zimbabwe and Ghana and all those kind of places where, where they have robust programs underway using informal, informal apprenticeship programs. And what an informal apprenticeship program is, an apprenticeship program without the time constraints. Well, how do you create that? Well, use structure of the job training, build your framework, and ta-da, you can launch an informal apprenticeship program. Now, Paul, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you, at, at some point in your career, you decided to write a book, the Learning While Working book. Can you talk about that mm -hmm. from a career standpoint for the other people in the industry and if they want to advance their career, how important was that book and um, to come up with this kind of a unique take on this kind of work and for you to, to create the book and then uh, roll out the book? How has that been for your career? And would you recommend other <laughs> well, people in the industry uh, yeah. taking that same tact? Uh -huh. Well, I mean, uh, to, to answer the back part of that, how, how, how much impact it's had on my career? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with why I'm at Baker now. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I suppose it's had an impact on my career in, in, in that sense. 
um, it wasn't the only thing, but it was it was it was one of the things that the recruiters were aware of, uh, and um, you know, kind of kind of led them in that direction. But my route to actually doing the book was substantially different than what I think most people's experience is, because a lot of people set out to write a book uh, that they have a concept that they want to write a book about, or they're they're a consultant or a speaker and they've been traveling around talking about something. They're like, you know what? I think I'll, I think I'll put this into a book and you know, then I could sell copies of it. I can make some extra money selling the book and you know, doing that way. But my, my approach to this was I went to, I, I'm, I'm very active in the association for talent development, ATD and uh, uh, went to one of their conferences. Actually the first one that I went to after I'd started working at the previous company, the Waldinger corporation uh, and uh, I, my boss, there also went and it was his very first time going to one and after that conference we were debriefing and he said you know it was a good conference a lot of stuff but you know there really wasn't a whole lot that addressed skill-based industries like construction and i thought you know you're right previous to that i'd always worked in you know insurance companies or or um um, you know financial sector institutions because there's a lot of those in des moines iowa and uh and for that crowd there's a lot of stuff at the atd conference but there wasn't a lot for skill-based stuff and so the following year i submitted a, a session rfp and they picked it up and you know, i submitted session to talk about structured on the job training which i didn't invent um but 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 i was you know i was creating the programs and we were launching them very successfully at waldinger and so um that's that's what i proposed to talk about and atd picked it up uh, put it in a prime slot, recorded it, and I was just blown away that I got that kind of reception first time out of out of out of the shoot to be a speaker. Uh, but as it turned out, in further com- conversation with ATD, this was the topic: structure of the job training and and the corollary of the informal apprenticeship. That this was this was stuff that was rapidly building on the horizon that ATD recognized they didn't have anything in print about. They didn't have any books, any, anything recent. In fact, if you got to Amazon, well, if you go out to Amazon, you'll find my book. <laughs> but other than that, the other books on the topic are like 10, 15 years old. There hadn't been anything even recently done on it. Um, and so so they, they were like, we'd, we'd like to have something in print about this. And, and you know, did a couple of magazine articles, did a couple of blog things for them. But, but what they really wanted was the book. And so... You know, we we went back and forth a bit. They, you know, I, I I put some stuff together. They told me, no, that's not what we want. <laughs> and we we did the dance a bit. Uh, it took us all took me almost a year uh, be, before we got to the point where they said, okay, good. Now now we feel like this is good. Do you feel it's good? And I'm thinking, yeah, now it feels good to me too. Yeah, and, and uh, we're on the same page. And then they sent a contract, and at that point, they gave me four months to write it. <laughs> Ooh, ouch! <laughs> all right. Um, before, before we wrap, Paul, uh, I mean, let's let's be practical here. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. You guys, I would think, particularly in your industry, uh, let me know if this assumption is accurate. You're dealing with maybe a variety of of levels of education. You've got different cultures. Oh, you may have people who are yep. language barriers. Uh, speak to that a little bit and how you and your team are trying to work through that. No, that that actually that's a very uh, poignant observation because uh, the like the uh, the the foreman population I'm, that I'm targeting right now, uh, we estimate that at between seven eight hundred people, uh, and of those individuals, uh, a good eighty percent, if not more, are Hispanic, and of those individuals, uh, a significant percentage English is barely a second language, if a second language at all. And many of them have what would be the, uh, at best, the equivalent of an elementary level education in the U.S. 
And it's not, that's not to say that they're not smart. They're very intelligent. They just, their formal schooling was, was limited. And so all of those factors mean you got the culture, you got the language, you got the educational level. All of those are factors that mean, you know, we, you, you can't just, again, it's, it's further reasons why you can't put them in a classroom and mm-hmm. just talk to them. Um, because, because that is, that is a guaranteed way to fail in, in communicating that information. It, it further reinforces why the best way to train uh, individuals with those kind of dynamics is in a way where they can tangibly with, with their hands tactically be doing the stuff as you're training it with them. Because even if the language barriers are there, then they're still able to understand physically. I can see what you're wanting me to do and I'm doing it and you're giving me a thumbs up. Okay, we're good. Uh, but now, of course, because of the, the large population of, uh, with the language, we're, as we're developing the content, we're obviously going to develop content that's English and Spanish, and we're going to have it delivered in English and Spanish, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, doing, doing those kind of things to, to accommodate. There is, a, there is a point where we say if they get to a superintendent level, however, that, that the individual, whether they speak English or whether they speak Spanish, they also need to learn the other in order to be mm-hmm. able to move into that superintendent role. The reason being um, not just the personnel they're overseeing, but because at that level, they're directly interacting with the, the general contractor and, and, and other, other trades and vendors. And, and uh, you know, they need to be able to communicate effectively. And so between the time someone would go from being a foreman for however long they're in that role before they become a superintendent, we also will then be supporting them in learning their second language, too, and having, having training for that as well. Clearly, your next frontier is elite sales training because you just took the three barriers, things that I position as barriers, and you frame them up as the very reason this is the right approach. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so I, I think we know about the next book that you're going to write. Uh, let's do leave our listeners <laughs> b- b- before we go here. So uh, uh, someone with similar responsibilities in another firm out there, they're listening to this. What are some early mm-hmm. steps he or she might take to, uh, to, to implement structured OJT there in, in their arena? What are, what are some, um, some precursors, some early steps they, that maybe they should take uh, aside possibly from reaching out and having a conversation with you? No, well, and certainly the, uh, uh, that part I welcome. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look up Paul Smith ATD. Um, and poof, there I am. I'm, so I'm, I'm happy to, to interact with anyone. But uh, the very first thing, because I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to blow smoke at anybody. I, I, SOJT can be a tremendous solution, and, and it can make a world of difference. In fact, I believe it can completely change the culture of an organization when it's done correctly. However, it is not easy and quick to build. It, it, it takes time. It takes it, it takes involvement of a lot of people. There will be a lot of people with differing opinions. Um, and you know there there has to be resolve to see things through. So I mean there it, it it can it can take some 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 work to get there, which is again why a lot of organizations that want to do it don't necessarily go all the way through with it. But so I I would say then before anyone starts trying to to to, to interview people and map things out, you first got to lay the foundation. You've got to get the leadership convinced that okay, you you need to get them to recognize. The way we're doing it now, what we call on-the-job training, isn't really even training at all. In most cases, it's a it's a bad episode of Survivor. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, hey, you know, we put them in the classroom and then we just threw them out in the deep end of the pool. And assuming they don't drown, 
they're a good employee, you know, and, and that's, that's, you, you start talking about washout rates, start talking about turnover, start talking about lo- the, 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 the talent drain that, that's happening, or, or the good people, you know, start pointing those things out to leadership and, and then tell them how, you know, if we do something smarter, if we did more structured on the job training approaches, we could reverse these trends. And we could, and, and, and I don't say this just as a, as, a, as a hypothetical. I've actually seen it happen, and I've talked to other companies. that It's, it's in the, the book, the reference, the others are doing this, where companies are very successfully using such programs both as recruiting tools to bring in great talent and, and as uh, tools that retain. The Waldinger Corporation. I'll just mention just a, a quick aside. Um, uh, we we trained project man- project engineers who want to become project managers, and uh, they, they were having a, a lot of their good talent that was leaving after about four years or so because they didn't see themselves progressing. They they weren't advancing, you know, quick enough. Well, then we created the structure and job training program that gets them completely trained and up to speed in three years or less, depending on if they interned. That's a whole different topic. Um, but the point being. They moved through that quicker. They were by the end of three years. They were now those individuals were stepping into jobs that traditionally it had taken five to seven years to to get wow. to step into. Uh, and the result of that was, while prior to that program they had had people, good quality people, leaving after you know four years, whatever. At the point, at least that, that I left Waldinger a few months ago, uh, there was not one single person who had participated in the structure and the job training program there for the project managers. Not one single participant had left the company. Every one of them was still there. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, that's, uh, that, 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 those kind of things are the things that turn a leader's head. That's the information that you pass on because then you get the leader excited about, okay, wait a minute. You mean I can save money on personnel costs by, by, by reducing the, the, the employee churn? Um, and I can potentially increase the quality of the knowledge that my people know and the, the efficiency of the work they're doing. And I can do all of that in less time than maybe we're doing it now as we fumble around with whatever. That sounds almost too good to be true. Well, well, it, again, it's going to take work to get there. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's not easy path, but it, all those things are possible. And so you get the leader convinced to see that vision and not only will they support it, but they'll demand that you implement something like that. Well, you're very generous to offer it up. Where can our listeners go and maybe um, reach out to you to have a conversation about this? Whatever's appropriate. I don't know if it's LinkedIn, an email, a phone number, but what's the best way for someone to reach out if they'd like to visit with you a little bit? Yeah, I, th- I think the LinkedIn is probably the best the best option. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to, at Waldinger, I used to say, well, here's my email, here's my phone number and stuff. But, you know, then I try to be more cognizant of that. that well, I think <laughs> my company pays for those things. And I should, <laughs> I should, should not be, you know, saying, here, just use that, whatever. But, but um, uh, you, know, you know, just drop me on, on on LinkedIn and I may I may take it. We, we you know, we'll, we may chat on, on the phone or, or email, whatever, but, but that's a good place to start. And then, uh, again, if they don't want to talk to me, they just want to get the book, it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or if they're an ATD member, just buy it from the ATD store. It's cheaper there. You get a discount because you're a member. And, and the name of the book again? Learning While Working. Learning While Working. Get it at all, at all those major outlets. It has been an absolute delight having you on the show, man. Thanks so much for visiting with I us. I always enjoy it. You guys are great to talk to. All right, until next time, we'll see you on Learning Insights Radio. 